0: Understand, when talking about addiction, I am not going to tell you everything that you could ever know about addiction. We don't have that time. So there are a lot of things about addictions that I'm just not going to cover this morning. I feel like I am forever away. So there are a lot of things this morning that I'm just not going to cover. Um, However, what I'm trying to do in the short time that we have, I want to cover just the basics. What are those most important things that you need to know about addiction and how to move forward out of that addiction, okay? There is hope in your addiction. But I want to start off, as I do with each of these, with a little story. Becca loves Netflix. That's right. Each day, she looks forward to getting back to her room to watch her favorite shows. Any free time that she can get, she's on her computer or TV watching her shows. She's obsessed with the storyline and can't help but watch one more. She reasons to herself that each one ends on a cliffhanger and I can't help but know what will happen next. She just has to know. As well, when she's stressed with school or whenever she gets into an argument with her roommate, she flips on her show to soothe her pain. However, rather than studying at night or enjoying time with friends, her grades have begun to slip. She's consistently tired. Her friends are wondering why she hasn't been around anymore. And when her friends ask, where she's been, she says that she's just been really busy in school, with schoolwork. And that her classes are particularly hard this semester. Becca knows something is wrong. But she reasons to herself that she's not like those who do drugs, right? Who do those hard drugs. She's not like them. She would never do those bad things. And she reasons that she can stop watching her show whenever she wants. She can quit at any time that she wants to. That is, as soon as she's seen the whole season. So what's up with Becca? What is up with Becca? Her story is much like our own. Whether it's video games, whether it's alcohol, whether it's exercising, eating, pornography, caffeine, shopping, gambling, drugs, your self-image, chocolate, sleep, sex, work, sports, on. And on and on. Whatever it is, we all experience addictions at one point or another in our lives. And we all experience addictions to varying degrees in our lives. And so we've all understood that tug and that lure to indulge our flesh. We all know it. There's no one in here who is the exception. So I wanna, what I want to do this morning is I want to go ahead and just give you a definition for addiction. I want to start off with it. Because I want to first look at uh, the pain and the pleasure of addiction. But I want to give you the, the, the definition for addiction before we get into it. And I think Ed Welch, in that book uh, that I just talked to you about, I think he gives a helpful, uh, biblically grounded definition. He says this about addiction. Addiction is bondage. It is bondage to the rule of a substance. Activity or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life. Defending itself from the truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance. And leading to further estrangement from God. I'll say that again because it is long. I know that you cannot write as fast as I can speak. Addiction is bondage to the rule of a substance, activity, or state of mind, which then becomes the center of life, defending itself from the truth so that even bad consequences don't bring repentance and leading to further estrangement from God. Now, we're going to look at that a little bit more in point number two. But understand that when I'm talking about addictions... I'm trying to get at the root issue. I am not focusing this morning on the biological or the psychological issues that come into play. I know about that. I'm not talking about that, though. Okay? I'm trying to get at the root. Whether someone is more physiologically predisposed to one substance or another, that's not my focus this morning. I'm trying to get at the root of the issue. And ultimately, I want to get at the heart of addiction. So there's one, there's one reason why, or well, yeah. I mean, the reason why in Mark chapter 2, for instance, when the paralytic, when his friends, uh, the paralytic's friends bring him to Jesus, and what do they do? They carve out that hole in the roof, and they lower this paralytic on his bed in front of Jesus. There is a reason why Jesus looks at that paralytic first and says, your sins are forgiven, and why he doesn't just say, you're healed. There's a reason It's because our problem is fundamentally spiritual before it is physical. I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I'm trying to get at that the fundamental problem is spiritual and not necessarily physical. Physical healing is important, right? After all, Jesus, in order to prove that he had the authority to be able to forgive sins, what did he do? Rise, take up your bed, and go home. He did heal him. Physical things do matter. Okay. the man was healed physically but it only confirmed and it commended that Jesus was able to have that Jesus had the authority to be able to forgive the man's sins in the first place all right so it's first spiritual and that's what I'm trying to get at today i can't go into all the other details with addictions so my hope for this class is that you will see the hope that you have in the midst of your addiction as peter tells us in second peter 1 verse 3 that god has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness, to be able to have eternal life and to be able to live a holy and a godly life. God has given to us everything that we need in his word. And so there are three major points to consider when battling addiction. Number one, the pleasure and pain in your addiction. I want to look at that and I want to start with that. I was was wrestling with whether or not to start with that or just to get to the root. Uh, but I think I'm going to start with that. The pleasure and pain in your addiction. Number two, the problem with your addiction. And number three, the power of the gospel over your addiction. You're going to find those three points on the handout uh, that we put on your seat whenever you came in. So number one, the pleasure and the pain in your addiction. So to understand addiction, I think what's going to help us to understand pleasure uh, in pain is what what actually that pleasure and that pain brings with it, so if we 're if we 're honest with ourselves, sin is pleasurable let 's not lie about it. Sin is pleasurable, no matter the consequences of it it 's pleasurable at least initially it 's always telling us one more, one more. however, its pleasure is temporary at best. Think about Moses, for example, the author of Hebrews in chapter eleven tells us a little bit about Moses. Moses understood this fact, that that pleasure is temporary. He understood this fact. When he chose to be mistreated with the people of God, then to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of Egypt and to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a son of Pharaoh's daughter, so to speak, brought into that household. He didn't have to suffer with his own people, but he he, he he forewent that. I don't even know if that's a word, but he forego that. There you go. You can also learn this from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and how the pursuit of sinful pleasures is ultimately done in vain. Go read Ecclesiastes okay? if you want to see the vanity in pursuing sinful pleasures of this world. However, it's a lie to believe that one more will ultimately satisfy and fulfill you. That is a lie that we buy into. After all, if one more ultimately satisfies us, then why do we want one more after that and after that and after that? And we just keep going. You may be temporarily satisfied, but you'll only keep wanting more and more and more. So listen to how Paul describes this about nonbelievers in Ephesians 4, 19. They became callous and they gave themselves over. They gave themselves over to promiscuity, for the practice of every kind of impurity. And here it is, with a desire for more and more. And here's the paradox with this. With every lust for more, we feel less and less satisfied. Less and less satisfied and less and less in control. And instead, what, what happens? We're controlled by the object of our lusts. We see this with alcohol addiction. Right? The need for more alcohol to get the same initial effect. Inevitably, nothing is ever enough to satisfy you. Instead, you want more. My, ch- my clothes aren't stylish enough. My exercise isn't hard enough. My video game isn't graphic enough. And eventually, these pleasures, what, are they, what happens to them? They just become dull. Ma, I'm just going to get rid of that game. I'm just going to get rid of these clothes. They're not in style. They become dull. However, I don't want you to get the wrong idea right here. Not all pleasure is sinful or bad. Many think that, Christian, that the Christian response to addiction is just reject all pleasure and enjoyment. However, the answer isn't to be more disciplined against your pleasure, but to enjoy the giver of the gift of pure, unstained, unadulterated pleasure. You worship the giver of the gift. And these pleasures can include money, food, recreation, sex, clothing, exercise, God's creation. We can go on and on about pleasures that are not inherently bad and evil. It's not bad to, I mean, praise God that food tastes good. Then when you go to the bowl, you're not sitting there left and like, this is awful. This sucks, right? You get to enjoy it. Praise the Lord that food tastes good, at least for some people. Right, There may be some who actually can't taste food all that well. Hopefully that's not the case for you. All right. We can give him thanks. We can give him thanks for the gift of sex in marriage. Sex is a good thing in marriage. There is pleasure in it in marriage. It is a good thing. We can praise him for the gift of his creation that turns our attention to his glory and his beauty as its master artist. As one biblical counselor uh, put it, What makes these pleasures innocent is the fact that there is a greater pleasure. That greater pleasure is the maker of all the innocent ones. Innocent pleasures don't pretend to save you or or protect you. They don't promise you meaning and identity in life. They are not the giver of every good and perfect gift. They are just gifts you enjoy. They're innocent because they don't pretend to be anything more. What happens, though, is that we make them more. We turn something good right, into something that is ultimate, and that ends up becoming something that is bad. These things can be perverted when we worship the gifts rather than the giver of those gifts. But how can you detect when innocent pleasures begin to move into those guilty pleasures? How can you detect that? I want to give you five very quick things right here on, on like five warnings for detecting when an innocent pleasure is beginning to move to a guilty pleasure. I know some of you are looking at me thinking like, my goodness, he's in subpoints now. Five warnings, five warnings for detecting innocent pleasures moving into guilty pleasures. And this is coming from Pallison's book. I think it's helpful. And I want to give it to you all. Number one, the pleasure is just plain wrong. Okay? drugs. Drugs are just plain wrong. Pornography is just plain wrong. Drunkenness is just plain wrong. Outbursts of anger. All these are wrong. That's number one. Number two, the pleasure captivates and captures you. The pleasure isn't sinful, but you become preoccupied with it. You fantasize about it. Right? It isn't wrong necessarily to exercise, but when you begin to obsess about your next workout, and that leaves you exercising for three or four hours a day, and I do know people that exercise for three or four hours a day. Maybe that's you in here. Right? that has moved into a guilty pleasure so to speak we have created something that was good or we've turned something that was good into something bad because we have made it ultimate some of you are thinking holy smokes what about a half marathon i'm not saying doing that <laughs> i'm not saying that doing that uh, is wrong okay but if i'm spending most of my days training and training and constantly training we may you may be addicted to exercise so you have to watch out for it. I'm not saying that you are; just saying you need to be watching out for it. Number three, the pleasure is hidden. The pleasure is hidden, all right? So go back to Becca in our opening illustration. Becca's trying to hide her addiction from her friends. She's trying to hide it. She didn't want to be exposed. But the problem is, is that Becca has forgotten that we're all naked and exposed before God, as the author as the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. He sees and he knows everything that we do, everything that we think. He knows the very bottom of our heart. Number four, the pleasure steals you away from the good. Steals you away from the good. Think about Becca again. She could have spent her time building relationships with her friends. She could have spent her time studying. She could have spent her time praying. Maybe spending time in the Word or even doing spiritual good to others within her church. But what is she doing? She's watching four hours of rom-coms all night long, right? She's watching those consistently. I'm not talking about a one-time thing. I'm not going to lie to you. There was one time when I got addicted. I really did get addicted to 24. My wife can attest to this. And I, spent, I literally spent 12 hours, I think, one day cramming through 24 it's 24 episodes per season. Eight episodes. That's a lot. I didn't cram through the whole thing in 12 hours. That's impossible. But I'm just telling you, I understand that situation. I am not the exception. I understand your, I understand that situation. Okay? It steals you away from doing good. I could have done a whole lot of good, but I didn't. I got obsessed with Jack Bauer taking over the world. I don't know why. why that was so... Uh, why that lured my heart, but whatever. Number five, the pleasure doesn't deliver. Number five, the pleasure doesn't deliver. Guilty pleasures never deliver. They promise joy, they'll promise you satisfaction, refuge and meaning, but ultimately they're going to leave you empty, anxious, more obsessed, and ultimately unhappy. And they're gonna bring about great pain in your life. Think about Becca again. Pain will eventually come because her friendships are going to be crippled. She was lying to them about what she was doing with her time. Her roommate will be hurt because of the harsh words that were spoken to her, right? trying to keep her away from her Netflix addiction. Her grades will suffer, time will be wasted, and the end of the show will come, leaving her empty and wanting more. She knows what it means to be obsessed to that show when it comes to an end. Our addiction not only affects us, it affects our families, it'll affect our friends, and it's going to affect others around us. It will cause not only great harm to your own health and life, but it can cause great harm to the life of your family members and friends. So Becca, if we think more about this, was using her guilty pleasures to escape her troubles with her roommate. Oftentimes what she would do is she would try to escape from them. And how would, she, how would she try to escape? She would try to escape from those arguments with her roommate, and she would want to escape from that trouble with her roommate uh, in stressful classes in her shows. She was trying to soothe and comfort her stress by clinging to Netflix. Rather than confront her pain and go to God, she ends up fleeing from it. She flees from the Lord and rather goes to those lesser pleasures. So whether it's being lonely, whether it's being stressed, or the feeling of being betrayed, these situations can influence or tempt us to turn to those guilty pleasures. Think about circumstances with the heat, the situations in your life. Those things are going to begin to put heat on your life, the circumstances and situations in your life. They're going to put heat on you. And how you respond to those things could potentially end up being addicted to them because we're trying to escape those troubles and we're seeking out refuge in an addiction We end up bearing bad fruit because we react wrongly out of the bad root of our heart, as we'll see in point number two. So understand, addictions can be temporary, can bring temporary pleasure, but if it's left unchecked, it will inevitably result in pain. It will result in pain. But what's going on with Becca? What's her real problem? What's our real problem here? Number two, the problem with your addiction. Number two, number two and three are shorter no worries number 2 the problem with your addiction so once again cons- when considering addiction biblically we've got to get at the root of the issue i'm not talking about a physiological predisposition to a particular substance or a drug that's not what i'm focusing on right here i'm trying to get to get to the root of all of that the thing is is that those things those physical things can influence us in how to respond Right? It can influence us to respond one way or another. However, these circumstances of life and various physical predispositions may influence how we respond to certain situations, and they may easily provoke us to those things. But they cannot determine our response. They cannot cause it. That's on us. We can't say that something else made me do it. We're responsible for it. So the problem isn't physical. The problem is spiritual. However, the physical problem may be a part of the addictive process, but it doesn't cause us to sin. It can influence, but it cannot cause. So the ultimate cause of our addiction isn't our body, but our heart. The primary problem isn't physical, but spiritual. However, what's spiritual is expressed physically. So often we're understood to be embodied souls. I know that's kind of an awkward way of putting it, right? But embodied souls that's how we have to think of ourselves the human spirit and the human body are unified and if we say that we hate god that's something spiritual we say that we hate god we hate god from the heart well then we're actually going to respond by living an ungodly life in many ways it's going to express itself in hatred toward god by living an ungodly life the physical expresses the spiritual one is the root and the other is the fruit as jesus said in luke 6:45 and matthew 15:19 i've mentioned this before in the past couple of weeks out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness and slander so the deepest problem ultimately is our sin that's what the deepest problem is sin is not a sickness or a disease it is not a sickness or a disease. It may be like those things, like what Isaiah talks about in chapter one, verses five and six. It may be like those things, but it not it is not itself those things. They're not identical. That's why it uses a metaphor to describe sin. And so addiction is sin. We struggle with addictions because we are sinners by nature. It's who we are. As Paul speaks about in Romans five, we inherit a sin nature from Adam and we are condemned before God. We're not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners by nature. That's who we are. And as sinners, we're susceptible to having addictions, every single one of us. Our addictions are those things that enslave us, those things that we idolize or we worship. And what we worship other than God is sin. It's what we call idolatry. So we start off. How does this start off? We start off by being attracted to something. Then we move to being infatuated with it. And that infatuation ends up blossoming into love for that object. And what we love, we will worship. And what we worship, we will be enslaved to. You desire the object of your affection, but you feel burdened by it at the same time. However, if you're willing to sacrifice whatever it takes in order to be able to have that object. As Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.19, that people are enslaved to whatever defeats them, whatever masters them. And so addiction is about enslavement. It's what we would call voluntary slavery. We're enslaved to the object of our affection, and yet we are responsible for being enslaved to it. We saw that, I think, back in Ephesians 4.19, that we are the ones who committed it. Like a fish, right? We're enticed by sin's bait, and as soon as we bite down on that bait, we begin to realize that we've been hooked, and we are hooked on it. And so addiction is about enslavement. So if you're addicted, think about this. If we're, say if we're slaves, right? If we are slaves to our addictions, right? We're slaves to what we worship. So do you worship sex? Do you worship sex through a physical relationship or the Internet? Well, then you're a slave, Do you worship alcohol? Do you worship school or self-image? Well, then you are its slave. If you're addicted to the approval of others, then you'll lie. You will gossip. You will joke. You will laugh in order to gain approval, even at the expense of others. Our addiction is ultimately about us wanting to rule our own lives. And so we're finding our addictions more pleasurable, more beautiful, and more satisfying than God. That's what we're doing. They are at odds with God. Now, you may be hearing this and you're thinking, woof, this is kind of a little heavy for me. <laughs> you may be hearing that. But the, the thing is, friends, there is great hope for you. There is great hope for you. Think about this. If, you're, if the issue with your addictions was in everything else, all the things that you cannot control, you know, if it's all outside of you, right, and you can just work your way to God, think about it. Think about how miserable that life would be to try to get rid of these things and yet never be able to be free from them. So there is great hope for you. Praise be to God that your biggest problem is not your addiction. Our addictions reveal our biggest problem and it's our heart's lack of love for our God. It's our relationship with him. And if this is our biggest problem, which it is, then there is great hope for us in the midst of our addiction. I fear those who think that they can just work themselves out of their addiction by their own strength and power. That is a hopeless, hopeless endeavor. But there is hope for them, and there is hope for you and I. Number three, the power of the gospel over your addiction. So think about this. If sin isn't our biggest problem, there is absolutely no need for the gospel. There is no need for the gospel. Without the gospel, we live to please God by the works of our own hands rather than the work of Christ on our behalf, much like what Ben was talking about in his testimony. Without the gospel, we look at our addictions as just a 12-step process that we can perform to recover from our addiction. If our addiction is just a physical problem, then Jesus is only a helper and he is only a healer. He is not a redeemer and a savior who ransoms you from enslavement to your sin. But if sin is our biggest problem, then we have hope, and we have hope because Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. A ransom is just a price that is paid to free someone from slavery. And that price is costly. Jesus gave his own life. He paid the price of your sin with his life so that you and I could be freed from bondage to sin and death. Now, if you don't claim to be a believer, or maybe you're not actually living as a believer, if you don't claim to be a believer, maybe you're not actually living as one, then take hope this morning that you can be freed from bondage to sin by turning from living for your sinful, guilty pleasures and instead be forgiven of your sins by trusting in Christ as your ransom that has been paid for you. If you're a believer, You've got to remind yourself of Paul's words in Romans chapter 6. That since we're united to Christ through faith, we are no longer enslaved to sin because of our old self being crucified with Christ. It's been crucified with Christ. And then Paul says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin, as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You're not hopeless. Rather, you can live out your hope in the power of the gospel because Christ has paid your ransom. You've been set free from the penalty and from the power of sin. That is a glorious thing. And that can only happen through the death and resurrection of Christ in your place. You can live by faith. In the midst of your addiction, and be empowered by God's grace, by His Spirit working within you to flee and to put off indulging the flesh. All right. So, say you've trusted in Christ, and you're wanting to fight against these addictions and make war against them in your life. What are the what are next helpful steps? Three very quick things. Very quick. I know the hour is moving and ticking. Three very quick things. And they're simple. And this is a beautiful thing. They are simple. Number one, confess your addiction. Confess your addiction. Confess it to Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a process that happens throughout life by the work of the Spirit within you. So confess your sins. One of the first acts of humility that you can take in your addiction is to bring it into the light and to confess it to other believers. Right? You'll want to hide your addiction, but don't do it. Acknowledge it. Get it out into the light and confess it to other believers. Number two, find your joy and pleasure in Christ. Find your joy and pleasure in Christ. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes I'm giving you right now, and it is pure gold. I love it. Lewis says this in one of his sermons entitled, The Weight of Glory. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Now catch this, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Understand what he's saying right here. It's not that your desires are too big or too strong, but they're too small and they're too weak. You're settling for lesser pleasures when there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. As David says in Psalm 16, verse 11, there are pleasures forevermore in Christ, and those can be yours. Seek your joy in him through the God-given means of grace found in his word, in prayer, and in community within the church of other believers. Number three, find a community. You're united to Christ through faith. When you're united to Christ through faith, you're united to a body. You're united to his people, part of the family of God. The context for confessing addictions and seeking help from others ought to be the local church, ought to be the local church that Jesus instituted. So we have to get around other believers in your church who are more spiritually mature than you. Get accountability from them. Have them encourage you to keep fighting against your addiction and keep pointing you. Have them keep pointing you and point others to the work of Christ on your behalf, on their behalf. We need one another to encourage one another. We need one another because God has given us each other in community to build one another up to love and good works. So don't make the excuse that, well, they just won't understand me. And they're all hypocrites. Friends, you probably won't understand their problems either. And we are all hypocrites. Everybody on the face of the planet is a hypocrite. So seek out others within the community. Commit to a church and get others around you to give spiritual oversight to your faith. All right?